there, true believers, and welcome to Simply Devotion, the podcast that is all about seeking Jesus on deeper theological levels, because he is worthy of all of our devotion. To another episode of Simply Devotion. I am back again with Jonathan Martin. Good to be here, Vinny. And we are continuing on our overall theme, the historical Jesus, the culture of Jesus, the world of Jesus. And we've been looking at the particular core sermon of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. And in the last episode, go back and listen to it if you haven't had the chance, we broke down the setting and the reason for the sermon and the overall broad picture of the sermon. And then we went into really cool detail about the Beatitudes. So now we're going to begin to look at the body of the overall sermon. I'm kind of excited because, you know, as I said in the last episode, this is sort of a central theme that I like to go to whenever I'm checking my thinking about how I should view the world. Mm-hmm. But you have a unique way that you have used to teach the body of this sermon that sort of parallels with the Beatitudes. Right. So like the Beatitudes, uh, as I mentioned in in the previous episode, the Beatitudes are the the introduction, the gateway to the rest of the sermon, the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. And each one of those Beatitudes are designed to summarize the main points that Jesus is making in his sermon. So they're kind of like the gateway uh, to the rest of the sermon. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, look, I'm giving you a chance to walk out now, right? If you don't like what I'm saying here, then you need to, <laughs> you need. it's better for you to just leave right now because you're not going to like what I have to say because the rest of the sermon is unpacking the Beatitudes. So when I go through the sermon, I like to see what Jesus is saying here and compare it to the Beatitudes. So the sermon interprets the Beatitudes and the Beatitudes interpret the sermon. They're, 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 they're designed to be taken together. So it's like the Beatitudes become the structure that you could equate different points within the sermon to. Exactly. And and the beauty of that is that it helps us uh, remember the main points of the Sermon on the Mount. Right. Uh, If we can if we can summarize it in, in eight nice, clear, repetitive statements 
then then we're able to to know what the main points of the Sermon on the Mount are. And I think that's really cool and really helpful because I love the Sermon on the Mount, as we've talked about, is just that it is so large. It appears on surface value. I know it's not when you look at it cohesively, but it appears on surface value to be kind of scattered. You know, because it says this and then it says that and then it says this. And you're like, you're left like thinking, is there a homiletical idea that's central here? For those of us who've been to preaching school, like we're taught, you got to have a homiletical idea and you got to be driving that home at each point. Right. And Jesus is in this sermon, but it's not apparent when we look at it without thinking about what is that homiletical point or that structure he's using. And so you're saying that it is actually the Beatitudes. We can use the Beatitudes as anchors to understand the homiletical structure of the sermon. And so we're going to take the first half of the sermon today and see how they connect to the Beatitudes. And we'll take the second half of the sermon in the next episode and see how they interact with the Beatitudes. Right. So um, the after the Beatitudes, you know, Jesus has this little section about, you know, salt and light. And that's kind of like a bridge between the Beatitudes and the rest of the sermon. Jesus is basically saying, look, if you live according to these principles, you will be like salt. You will be like light. Um, and, and, and that's really what Jesus is saying in that sermon. So the goal for the follower of Jesus is to understand the Beatitudes and to live the Beatitudes so well uh, that it is like being salt in a world without salt. It is like being light in a world without light. Uh, they ultimately propel us into visibility and into noticeability because the righteousness of those who live according to the beatitudes will surpass everybody else's um and so it and so it becomes obvious that these people are living uh the beatitudes they're living the law in a way that's different and yet faithful to the law um, and so Jesus begins uh, after after bridging the Beatitudes uh, with the sermon. He, he then goes into basically unpacking the law. Um, and there's a phrase that Jesus uses over and over again here at the beginning of the sermon. And that is, you have heard, but I tell. You have heard, but I tell tell. And so when Jesus says, you have heard, he is referring back to Torah. He's referring back to the law. Uh, and so he says, you have heard because all of you have attended right. uh, Beit Torah, right? Mm -hmm. So you guys have heard this, you know this, but now I'm telling you how you should understand it. So in this way, he is actually mimicking rabbinic tradition, right? Mm -hmm. Because rabbinic tradition is you memorize Torah and then the rabbi tells you what you've memorized and what it means. Correct. And so Jesus is playing the role 
of the rabbi. Right. And normally uh, the rabbi would say, hey, you've heard this. Uh, and rabbi so-and-so says so-and-so says this and and this other rabbi you know he's saying here and then he comes to some sort of conclusion based on which rabbi he more closely associates with right but jesus totally cuts out the middleman right says he says this is what torah says and this is what i'm telling you it means and so he's both mimicking the rabbinic tradition and mocking it. Right. Because he's like basically saying, let me teach like the rabbis you have heard it said. And I don't care what they said. Here's what it really means. Exactly. And of course, the implication is he is Messiah. He is son of God. He's the Midrash, David, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? Bates Midrash. He is the Midrash, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so in, in, in Matthew 5, um, we have Jesus. He says, you, he has his first you have heard statement. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Right. That's mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. Ten Commandments. Yep. Right? That's bedrock. <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't murder. Right. Uh, and we can all agree with that. Right. We shouldn't take other people's life. Got it, Jesus. We got it. And then Jesus says, but I oh, tell oh, you. Oh. Anyone who uh, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Well, but but what if I'm being angry at people who I think are murderers? <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> right? Right. So what Jesus is addressing here is the nature the hum- the part of human nature that leads to murder. Right. And so Jesus says, look, the law, the Torah tells you don't kill anybody. But what I'm telling you, the point of this, the meaning of this, the meaning of this is for you to never get to the point where you're wanting to murder someone. And the way that you get to that point is by checking your anger. Right. So in the last episode of the podcast, you mentioned your affinity with pacifism. Mm-hmm. Right. So imagine being so dedicated to pacifism that you got angry at someone who opposed you. And you would actually as a pacifist be committing murder Hmm. right Jesus is saying you are breaking the commandment simply by being angry at your brother or at your sister because anger so murder murder extends past the physical act it is the intention of the heart and where it Mm -hmm. begins 
right? So Jesus is, is moving deeper than just the letter of the law, and he is addressing the symptom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the symptom is deeper than just not killing someone. Right. It's, it's really easy to look at the letter of the law and say, I don't murder. You know, I don't, I've never killed anyone. I, you know, I, I've never even been in a bar fight. Um, I've never, you know, had an abortion. You know, I, I've, I've never done even violence. But Jesus is saying, hey, hold off, Christian. Murder is more than maybe what you think it is. Right. Yes. And he's getting down to the heart of the matter. He says, I don't want you to go. I don't I don't want you to come anywhere near. It's really the opposite of the fences, right? Like, like. The fences that the the religious leaders of the day put up, the right? Pharisees. Says, yep. we, yes, we don't want to break the law, and so I'm going to put up fences that are basically more laws. Right. And Jesus says, "No, we don't want to break the law, and so we're going to. I'm going to okay. put up my my own fence." He says, mm-hmm. and that fence is what's going on in your heart. Right. So if my heart is right, I don't have to follow my fences. If my heart is right, I don't need to be guarded. If my heart is right, I don't need rules and regulations to make sure I don't murder. I won't even get close to murder. Right. Because I'm busy loving. Exactly. Exactly. And so Jesus really, what he does is he takes the commandment and he makes it harder. And, and he does this repeatedly, right? Because then we move on. And then Jesus says in, in verse 27 of Matthew chapter 5, he says, You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So again, it goes back to the point that you were making earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I've I've never slept with anybody that wasn't my wife. Never even kissed somebody that wasn't but, but, my but, wife, right? But, but what if it's not your fault? Like, what if the woman comes to church with her skirt too short? Well, Jesus has something to say about that, right? <laughs> I mean, like, because, 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 like, <laughs> I, I, you know, like, yeah. he, he places the onus on the person. It's not the woman's fault for her skirt, right? Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. He says, don't worry about what the woman is wearing. He says, you need to check your mind. But what about all those sermons about, you know, women needing to have modesty and, you know, doing the, the skirt check and, and and making sure that your sweaters are not too tight. Like, like that's a huge part of many Christian traditions. I, Look, I, I don't have anything against modesty. OK, but that has that has nothing to do with the what Jesus is saying here, right? 
Jesus saying, Jesus saying, even if you are in in the presence of the most immodest person ever, it's still on you, not them. My call on your life, so you don't look lustfully after her. So, what Jesus is saying is, I'm responsible for how I think. Hmm. I'm responsible for how I look at somebody. Their responsibility is not my responsibility. And I don't get to blame other people for my behavior. Mm -hmm. That's it. Um, Even if it never, and so Jesus is saying, look, even if it never gets to the point where you're cheating on your wife, or or your spouse right even if it even if it never gets to that point he says i want to make sure that your mind and your heart is pure enough that it won't ever even go near adultery and that is you're not even lusting So the Pharisees may, you know, they like to make their fences around the fences. And so they may make rules. They may make rules about, you know, never being alone Mm -hmm. with another woman. Right. You know, they may make a rule about like the women can only come so far. They have their own court, Mm -hmm. you know, in the temple. Right. Like they they make they make rules like, you know, women have to sit on one side of the synagogue and men sit on the other side of the synagogue. These are all benches and fences to 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 keep impurity away from the mind of men Mm -hmm. but jesus is saying men have no business having impurity in their heart to begin with impurity doesn't start with the woman impurity starts with the man's heart bingo and so again he's taking the law right and he's saying look the problem with adultery is not that women exist. <laughs> right. <laughs> the problem with adultery is the stuff that goes through your mind. And so Jesus is saying, right, you've already committed adultery if lust enters into your mind. Um, and, and, and so, again, he's taking the law and it almost seems like like he's making it harder. Mm. Right. Some, in some ways, he's making it harder than what the Pharisees would have made. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the Pharisees have check marks, right? Like they have, like as long as you go through the check at the fence, you're good. Right. But Jesus is like, I'm interested not in your behavior, but your motivations. Hmm. Exactly. Because if I have your motivations, I don't need to worry about the check spots, right? Like, if if I don't need to, I don't need to, I don't need to do a search of your behavior if I have your heart. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You're you're already doing what you're supposed to be doing. You don't need the laws you don't need those fences because you're naturally going to do 
what you're supposed to be doing. He says, this is the righteousness that I'm looking for. And that's why he says in Matthew 5, verse 20, he says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Because Jesus is saying that the righteousness that I'm expecting of you is not a righteousness that is about checking boxes of behavior. It is a righteousness that is so imputed into your life that you naturally do what the law is expecting you to do because you're not going to go anywhere near breaking that law. Hmm. And how does this tie back to the Beatitudes? Right. And so this echoes, I believe, the first and the second Beatitude, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So so, so, so I have to realize that I have a deficit in these areas that yes. I have to realize that my tendency is to want to clock you in the head rather than to care about your welfare. I have to realize that my tendency is to blame the woman rather than to check my own eye. Mm-hmm. And when I, when, when I become one with the poverty of my own spirituality, that's actually when I'm inviting God into my life and he can comfort me by empowering me because I'm aware that the issue belongs to me and not others. Right. If we're honest, if we're honest and we sit at the feet of this rabbi, Mm -hmm. Jesus, and we listen to what he is saying, all of us are going to be like, there's no way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> There's no way but the way yeah, there, Jesus. <laughs> there is no way That I could do this And so Jesus Purposefully In this sermon Is up in the ante He purposely Points out Our own Spiritual bankruptcy He's like you think You think you're good you think you're righteous. You you think you're following the law. But you're not. And you need to be utterly aware of that fact. You need to become one with your spiritual poverty. Yes. You need to mourn your and insufficiencies. Yes, which leads us to, to a state of mourning. We need to cry out to God and say, have mercy on me. But the problem I have with this, John, is it's so much easier just to judge someone else for making me angry and wanting to kill them. And it's so much easier just to judge like the the immoral generation I live in and in the way that women dress out there than to check my own heart with God all the time. Right. But the way of Jesus is not the way of ease. But it is what the church has been teaching people for so long. Like, like we, we, we got to do something about these bad people and we got to get these bad people to toe the line so that we can live in a Christian world. And you're telling me that's not the way of Jesus. No, it's about being salt in the middle of unsaltiness. 
It is about being light in the middle of darkness. Other people in God's kingdom, what other people do should not affect how I live my life. I don't get to blame them. I get to realize my spiritual poverty Mm. and mourn my weakness so that Jesus will help me. Bingo. It's a high calling. It is a high calling. It requires a lot of spiritual integrity Mm -hmm. and a lot of honesty. And it's almost like every place we're prone to judge other people means we actually need to be checking in with Jesus about where our heart is. Right. But, but we, but we always have to check that in with the, with the beatitudes, because even though it's a high calling and even though it seems as though we are in a place of, of spiritual poverty, right? Jesus says, look, if you recognize your spiritual poverty, you're close to the kingdom. And he says, and he says, if you mourn, if you cry out to God because of your spiritual poverty, you will be comforted, right? He doesn't just say, stop being angry and leave it at that. He says, there's a work that God is going to do in your life. He will comfort you. You're not far from the kingdom. All right. Yeah, I I see it. I see it. (laughs) So, and so, you know, there are other sections in the sermon that do something similar, right? You know, uh, we don't necessarily have the time to unpack it all, but he does the same thing with divorce. He does the same thing with oaths. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you, and, and the point is always the same, right? It's not about whether or not you break the letter of the law, it's about the condition of your heart. Right. This is the mourning and poor in spirit. Yes. And so then Jesus moves on. He starts another section. Um, and this is kind of like the eye for an eye and the love your enemies section here. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 38 uh, through 39, again, Matthew 5, 38. Sorry. Yes. Matthew uh, 5 verses 38 through 39. And he says, Here, here's that formula again. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you. No, wait, wait. Don't mess that up because that's how we are able to do like the death penalty and stuff. And <laughs> I mean, that, that's fine. You want to edit the words of Jesus oh. your own preconceived ideas. But- Oh, man. All right. Fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm I'm just being the conscious objection that I know our listeners are going through as they're, you know, being challenged by Jesus. Yes. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. And so Jesus unpacks that statement, right? Okay, so we're used to this idea of eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It's not a difficult concept. Even a child understands this, right? (laughs) Like if, you know, if my child comes to me, right? Mm -hmm. And and they said, 
oh, you know, my brother hit me. I'm like, well, why did your brother hit you? Because I hit him, right? <laughs> so even <laughs> children, even children understand this concept of eye for eye, tooth for tooth, right? Right. It's you not fair. Me. I get my revenge. Yeah. You hit me. I hit you. You hit me right? first. That's the only reason I did it. And it wouldn't be fair, you know, if he hit me once, then I get to hit him once, right? I don't get to hit him twice, right? So there, there is a limit there. But he made okay. me angry. Don't I get a hit for the anger? Oh, wait, I'm not supposed to be angry either. Ah, this sermon. <laughs> <laughs> so eye for eye, tooth for tooth. We're, it's, it makes sense, right? right? And by the way, it's Torah. Right? It, you know, it's Torah. Eye for mm -hmm. eye, tooth for tooth. But Jesus is saying, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. And now you're just like, okay, do not resist. What do you mean by that, Jesus? And he unpacks it, right? And then he gives the example. He says, look, if you get slapped, turn the other cheek. Encourage evil? If you get sued, give them more than what they asked for reward evil if you are forced to go one mile go two miles submit to the oppressor right like this it is doesn't make common sense this is not common sense <laughs> again because jesus framed this teaching in the with the formula you have heard, but I say, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus is is going down to the heart of the matter, right? He's mm -hmm. making it harder. He's he's calling us to a higher standard than the law. Um, and and so we're always that's you know if anything is going to make us um, recognize our spiritual bankruptcy. It's this saying right here. If there's anything that's going to make us recognize, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> like if, if this doesn't make us cry out to God in recognition, <laughs> yeah. in recognition of our sinfulness, nothing will. <laughs> Jesus is getting hard, man. <laughs> but, but what, what he, how do I understand this? Right. I think the key to understanding these, these statements, by the way, Several years ago, I, I put out uh, a message on social media on, on this particular hard saying of Jesus. I said, what does Jesus mean by this? And I got crickets. Like people, <laughs> I don't want to talk about this one, man. Right. This one hits home. I did get one church member who came to me, you know, uh, the next time we were in church together and he brought it up and he, and he finally said, he's like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what this means. I don't know how to, how to understand what Jesus is saying here. Again, that's the point. Jesus wants us to cry out to God. Mm. Right. But in order to understand this, you have to find its echo in the Beatitudes. In order to understand this, you have to, in order to understand this, you have to find its echo in the Beatitudes. Mm. And I believe that the echo for this teaching is in the third Beatitude. Blessed are the meek, 
for they will inherit the earth. Right, because meekness means to know your entitlement, but to restrain it. Exactly. So I might be entitled by Torah to smack you upside the head, but just because I'm entitled to smack you upside of the head doesn't mean I should. Right. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. He is saying, when you experience these things, of course you're entitled to an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets. But to make it harder. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, the words that Jesus used was fulfill, right? <laughs> but yes, it, it okay, is. Okay, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it is to make it harder, right? And and the reason he makes it harder is because life is better this way. And I think that, th that there's truth to this, right? So if I get slapped on one cheek, I am entitled. I am entitled. No one's going to find you guilty for smacking someone back. Right. <laughs> to turn the other, uh, sorry, to smack them back. But if I turn the other cheek to slap them back. But when I practice meekness, what I'm actually doing is taking back control. Mm. Right. You and, and I actually emphasize, I emphasize the evil that has been done to me. Because, because if somebody slaps me and then I slap them back, that's the, everybody's like, okay, yep. He slapped you, you slapped him. It's all good. It's all good, right? But if somebody slaps me and I turn and I say, that's how you really feel about me? Go ahead, slap me again. It's a whole Gandhi thing, right? Right, yeah. But what it does is it highlights the depravity of what has been done to me. Right. It's going to leave no question about who your oppressor is. Exactly. Now, if I slap somebody back, there's always like, well, you know, who's really at fault here? <laughs> right. Right. I, literally, my parents would have said that to me. You're just as bad as each other. You deserve each other. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Right. But if I refuse, even though I'm entitled to. If I refuse, instead of drawing attention to who's right and who's wrong, I draw and, and to that question. I'm drawing attention to the evil that has been done to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the meekness, right, is actually, as Jesus says, those who practice meekness will inherit the earth. Right. Mm. Which which is, is totally opposite. Right. If I get slapped, I'm losing ground. If I get sued, I'm losing ground. If I'm forced to go one mile, right, I'm losing ground. But Jesus says, no, you're not losing ground. This is actually how you conquer. Because you draw right. attention to the evil that's being done to you. It's a, it's a totally different way of looking at it, but it makes sense. It kind of like, 
I don't know if you've you've read much Dallas Willard. Mm-hmm. He's he's a philosopher theologian, or was he's deceased now. He he has a book on the Sermon on the Mount called Divine Conspiracy. And he said, when you he, this is what he says in the book. He says, when you really get what Jesus is saying, he's basically saying it's like flying in a plane upside down. Yeah. <laughs> where you think the ground is, it's the sky. And where you think the sky is, it's the ground. Mm-hmm. And I can really see that through this, right? Yes. You think the right thing to do is to smack the dude in the head and 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 equalize it, right? Like that the the TV show, the equalizer, right? Right. Um but really the power is not in the ability to equalize, but to amplify mm. meekness and show the utter depravity of the oppressor. Right. Exactly. Which is ultimately what Jesus did on the cross. Exactly what he did on the cross. Jesus, Jesus had every right to say, what you're doing to me is wrong. He had every right to say that he was being cheated. He had every right to stand his ground. Mm. But he didn't. It's like that old hymn says. He could have called on 10,000 angels, right? Right. He and could have rained down hell on them. Yes. But he says, and forgive them, Father, instead. Mm-hmm. He takes the punishment instead. Right. And it goes even deeper than that. Because if you believe that the cross is the is the climax, the culmination of this war between good and evil, between Christ and Satan, right? It is on the cross that Jesus pronounces to the entire universe. Satan's way doesn't work. Does not work. Mm. I have a better way. And so Jesus practiced meekness on the cross. He was entitled to justice, and yet he restrained himself to emphasize the evil that was being done to him. He's not only entitled to justice, he has the strength. He has the privilege, and he has the power to take it. Mm Mm-hmm. And through meekness restrains himself from doing it. Bingo. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Because in doing so, you highlight the evil. And you will one day, people will recognize the righteousness in you and you will inherit the earth. Yeah. And, and such a thing could only happen in a person who is practicing the realization of their spiritual poverty Mm -hmm. and mourning their tendency to not Mm -hmm. want to be meek. Yeah. Right. So this sermon 
I it's mean, coming together, man. It's coming together. <laughs> it's coming together in a way I don't like because it's like very convicting, and you know you have to like practice being nice and stuff. But, <laughs> but nice. it's coming together. Meek, meek. <laughs> but right. I mean, the, the sermon is hard hitting, and it is designed to be that way, so that we recognize our spiritual bankruptcy and we cry out to God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is. It is by design. Okay, now Jesus moves on, and this will be this will be the last part of the sermon we'll look at today. We'll we'll finish up the sermon um, next time. But Jesus's next section is about outward righteousness, and he gives several examples of people uh, displaying or showing off their righteousness. And he's actually saying, yeah, they may be showing off their righteousness, but in reality, they're not. And so he gives some examples here. And so if we turn the page into Matthew chapter six, um, Jesus gives us uh, warnings of pious displays of righteousness. And the first Hmm. warning that he gives us is be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And so Jesus is saying no selfies with the homeless. Right. (laughs) Yes. Right. And, And let me let's be clear in the world of social media. People love to record and take pictures and upload on social media all the wonderful things that they're doing for people. And we do it in part because we want people to, you know, congratulate us. <laughs> we want people to recognize the good that we're doing. Goes back to motive. Right. Goes back to motive. Um, and I'm not saying, and I don't, I'm not saying, and I don't think Jesus is saying that it is bad <laughs> to upload a picture of you feeding a homeless person. I, you know, my, my own policy is I may upload a picture of us preparing a meal into the church's social media, but I think it's highly degrading to include pictures of people you're helping because what you're doing is calling them out as needing your assistance. Right. Right. And I think that's like, just like super degrading to someone. Like it's bad enough that I need someone to give me a sandwich. It's worse that I'm in a picture needing a sandwich. Mm -hmm. It's, it's to devalue them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like we might do cute pictures of the kids, you know, putting together the lunch or something like that. But that's more of like a community thing. Like, like, like we're engaging in a community activity than it is that this poor, pathetic person needs our sandwich. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And, and, and that's a good way to put it, right? Um, and to be honest, what the Pharisees were doing was they're saying, oh, I am so blessed by God. Because I'm so good, he's blessed me. <laughs> yes. Because, because I'm so good, he's given me all this. Yes. <laughs> so that I can help this person who obviously has sinned and God hasn't blessed. Yeah, like what's wrong with them that they need my sandwich? Like, what are they doing? They must have spent it all on drugs, you know, like. Right. And so, and so the picture that they're creating is even though God has them poor for a reason and they probably don't deserve this sandwich. I'm even better than God. <laughs> well, that's kind of what they're saying, right? God has not blessed them because they're not good enough to be blessed. So now I have to come and bless them. Yeah. And so, the, and so they are painting their righteousness superior than God's. Mm. And you have the same principle um, in other examples that Jesus gives here in, in Matthew 6, because then he moves on to prayer and he says, hey, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. But truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. Again, the Pharisees had the practice of just going out in the street and to show off just how spiritual they are right? To pray these long prayers. Jesus told a parable about it, right? <laughs> and it's that difference, right? Between between the Pharisee and, and, and the sinner, right? Praise this long prayer, right? Probably beautiful, beautifully written prayer. Probably prayed in King James language. <laughs> yes. The D's and the Dow's and the thy's were all in the right places, right? Yeah. And then Jesus compares that prayer with the prayer of somebody who recognizes their sinfulness. Oh, wretched man that I am. Yes. And it may not have been an eloquent prayer. It may not have been a long prayer, but it was a way better prayer than the one of the Pharisees. And, uh, and so, you know, these examples that Jesus are giving, he gives the other example about fasting. Same thing. I'm going to fast and I'm going to look like I'm fasting. I want to make my face look like I'm really hungry. You know, somebody asks, hey, how's your day? It's like, well, you know, I'm fasting today. Right? <laughs> and Jesus says, no, when you're fasting, you don't need to broadcast it to the world. And the reason Jesus is saying this is to highlight the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Because this part of the sermon is echoing the sixth beatitude, which is blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And that word pure is, is this idea of ceremonial cleanliness, right? And the Pharisees were so good at painting themselves as, as ceremonially clean, as untouched by the unclean and yet jesus is saying here they're hypocrites but this is you know again highly problematic because when i go to help poor people or 
people begging on the street corner just means like I can't you know like choose not to help them because I can see their problems you know like (laughs) I like being you know don't we like to be able to say they're not deserving of my help Hmm. I I can tell if I give them money they're going to go buy cigarettes Hmm. or alcohol so you know or, or maybe like I can see they clearly need a, a square meal, but I can just give 50 cents or a dollar because, you know, they'll waste it anyways. And if I got to pray for someone, it, it, they should know how much effort I put into it. <laughs> you know, because it's such a burden to have to pray for other people's stuff when you got your own stuff to pray about. <laughs> you know, like, you're flying... John, you you are flying in the face of conventional religious thought here. Hey, I'm just the messenger here, right? Jesus is the one that's saying these things. I'm just trying to defend the listeners who are having their Christianity challenged. I mean, (laughs) like, like right now, someone is listening to this podcast very troubled because they're listening to it in their car and they're passing by a homeless person with a sign saying they need food. And a minute ago, they felt really good saying it's okay because clearly God didn't help them. So why should I, but, 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 but you messed that up, John. Right. (laughs) Um, And yet that's, again, that's the point. You're supposed to feel uncomfortable. You're supposed to come to terms. Well, you're doing good at that, John. (laughs) You're supposed to come to terms with your spiritual bankruptcy so that you will ultimately cry out to God to be comforted. Um, And so, yes, if you're feeling uncomfortable, that's how you're supposed to feel. It is by design. I'm supposed to know that God expects more of me than my comfy cultural Christianity. Right. My, my, my internal judgmental Christianity. Yeah. My Christianity that, you know, can see where other people are clearly sinners and are getting their just desserts. This is challenging stuff. No wonder we have to take it in multiple parts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going to have to end it here soon because <laughs> I don't know how much more we could take. Right. They're going to need the two weeks between podcasts to process this much, right? Right. But yeah, you know, here are just some examples. And what Jesus is is calling us to when he says, hey, if you give, give in private. When you pray, pray in private. When you fast, fast in private. He didn't say don't do those things, right? He says, do it. Those things are good. But don't do it so that people can look at you and say how holy you are. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been, you know, I've been in churches where, you know, they they're trying to fundraise for something, mm. and then people from the audience, right? They raise their hand or or they raise an envelope and they're saying, "I'm going to give this much for that project." 
And then somebody else is like, well, you know, I don't want to be outdone. So I'm going to give this much for that project. And now they're using, whether they intended to or not, the church is using religious piety, playing it against each other for fundraising purposes. So it's not that I have to give to every situation. It's not that I have to help every person. It's not that I have to pray for every problem or fast for every conflict. But it is that when I do those things, I must do them out of love and pure motive Mm -hmm. and not out of self-gratification. Yes. Yes. And the language that Jesus uses in the beatitude that is the cognate for this part of the sermon is cleanliness, right? This idea of of, of ceremonial purity. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Says, you want atonement? (laughs) You want to be at one with God? You want to see God? And John, this goes back to what I said in the previous episode when I when I asked you that question about to see God, do you see like can you see God in the reflection of the other person? In and I'm seeing this point more clear because it's like I see how God helps me because I am that person hmm. who is so undeserving. It's not them, it's me. Yes. And, and when I help the other person, even though I get nothing out of it, even though they may not deserve it, they might not even appreciate it. That's exactly who I am. When God helps me. Hmm. Yeah. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they will see God. They will see what it takes for God to love them. Mm. Mm. Amen. You have been listening to a podcast produced by simplyvinny.com. Stop by our website, read our blog, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and all that jazzy promotional stuff. But remember, I'm the podcaster that likes to remind you when life throws a monkey wrench at your head, Jesus is still the logo. The reason, the logic, the word that builds your life back all the way to the kingdom of God. Until next time, God will be blessing you. See you at the next podcast.